Hey, before today's episode, I just want to say thank you to the Patreons. I know I do this every once in a while, and that's because, hey, they're the people paying for the show. Um, Alejandro Salazar, Stephen Davis, and Tim Ludwig. Uh, go find them on Instagram and give them a follow. They are at the highest tiers, and they're really helping out a lot. Um, I'm actually looking at the Patreon page now, and I can assure you they are paying the bills. They're paying for the hosting, and they are paying for the editor, because if you haven't noticed... There's now uh, an editor working for me, and he is editing all these shows. So the last two, now this will be the third episode, it's getting edited by Jared. Um, so if you don't mind, go give Jared Trinka a follow, too. He's awesome. He's super funny, really into sports. Uh, great video editor, too, if you need one. Um, but just want to say thank you. Uh, the show's been getting back on its feet. People are kind of in this good time where they're able to talk again, which is great. Um, I'm actually seeing people in person again, which is awesome. So I'm hoping get more of those in-person episodes. David Bergman's episode, we actually did that in person here in Nashville. And so that was really nice. Um, I'm kind of talking at wind here or whatever. <laughs> um, but I just want to say thank you a lot for everybody who listens, everybody who keeps supporting the show. Um, and I have one favor to ask. If you enjoy the show today and you know you think that there should be more of these, please go share it. Um, share the Patreon or share the Patreon, share the Instagram, um, or just send someone a link to the episode. I think that's how most of us find podcasts. And I can say that um, the people who do listen clearly love the show a lot. I get a lot of DMs on Instagram and stuff, people saying thank you. And that means a lot. That's why I'm keeping doing this because I can tell you right now, um, I kind of thought about not doing it anymore at one point because I was like, this is so much work. Uh, and that's when the editor came on because I was like, I can't do this all alone. Um, Noah Reif is also helping out a bunch too, uh, but he's on an internship right now and super busy. And I hope he gets done with that so he can help the Instagram look super sick again. But anyways, thank you so much. Um, if you don't know Julian, Julianne, I'm saying her name wrong. I say her name wrong in the show too. Um, you should. She used to work at ESPN for like 13 years and she's now at Connecticut Public. And this is a great conversation. And if you're a photographer trying to get insight on how the world of editing works, today's episode is for you. Um, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for all the support. Really appreciate it. Welcome to Reciprocity Podcast, where we discuss the backstories and strategies of photojournalists, sports photographers, documentary filmmakers, and photo editors. Now, here's your host, Brett Carlson. Today on the show, we have Julian Veracci, and she is the director of visuals at Connecticut Public, which houses both public radio and public television. Um, she used to work at ESPN as an editor as well. Um, I've known her for several years, and I'm really excited to have this talk. She is actually the first editor we've had on, so this is really exciting because it's been a lot of photographers. We've had one video person, and now we're finally, after a year here, finally getting an editor in, and I'm really excited. So without any uh, further ado, how's your day going? How's your week going? Like, What's new? Uh, hi. Thanks for having me, Brett. It's, uh, my week's going good. It's very, very busy and hectic, but that's you know kind of like every week. Um, just have a lot, yeah, just have a lot going on and, uh, very, you know, this job that I'm in at, at um, public media, it's very, uh, fulfilling in a lot of ways. And it's also like coming from ESPN to public media. It's, uh, it's been an interesting transition and like everyone that works here is, um, just wears all of the hats. So we all like pitch on and everything. Yeah. I would think, that's, that's something I want to talk about. I think we'll dive in a little deeper later, but there's got to be a big shift from going from 
a very heavy TV focused world now over to like kind of both platforms, still very TV focused. Um, but it's just like very, very different demographic, very different style of storytelling. Everything's so different. Uh, how has that been switching gears from ESPN to now a public, pub, not public radio, public television and radio place? It was, it, that's a really good question because it was, uh, definitely a transition in the beginning it you know going from essentially a global company to a hyper local company to work with um you know it's the um the amount of people that you interact with on a, on a daily basis is definitely different the way that you know projects are pitched and completed it's totally different but you know at the core of it it's, it's storytelling which is why you know i'm still very passionate about um, what i'm doing and there's a lot of similarities too it's just i guess the size and scope is is what's most different yeah i would think i would think that'd be a big change but i think yeah like you said the core of this is very similar um we'll get to that more in a minute because i definitely have a few questions about that but um so you're an editor you are the first editor we've had on i'm obviously being a professional i've worked with editors for like a decade um, our show is listened to by a lot of young people, some mid-career people, some editors like Jason. I think he's a pretty avid listener. Um, we both love Jason. Um, but we, yeah, that's right. Shout out Jason. Um, so how did your career start and how did you end up on a desk instead of with a camera in your hands, but still working in the world of photography? And I know this, this to some of our listeners, it might seem like a very obvious question, but I noticed some of our younger listeners this is probably something that they don't hear a lot of. So I wanted to go over this topic. That's a, that's a really good question. This is going to be kind of probably a long answer, but that's totally um, fine. We got all the time in the world. You know how, how far back you, you want to go? In oh, the, in at, the least <laughs> at least till college, at least till college, for college. All right. Um, so I grew up in upstate New York outside of Syracuse and in a small town called Baldensville. And I went to school Beville. at MRC. Beville. Beville Diner. I lived in Beville yeah. when I worked at the Syracuse paper. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I still visit when I go back. Um, but I went to Emerson College. It's located in Boston. And uh, they actually don't have a journalism program, or maybe they did, and I didn't really realize it at the time. But, um, you know, I got into photography in high school, like a lot of people do. And that was pre digital revolution. So, you know, fell in love with film cameras, black and white, you know, the classics, you know, kind of probably heard the story a million times but you know it the the bug bit me um like it does a lot of people and you know I decided to pursue when I first got to college pursued a, a film career film career film education I guess uh you could say and it was you know it was, it was great I loved you know the visual medium and you know wasn't really sure what direction I wanted to go obviously like what do you know when you're you know 18 you're yeah. just like hey this looks like cool and I don't have to do math so let me try it out yeah. Significantly um, less math math in these art classes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so I got right into it, learned about, you know, film history and the photo program was very, very small. I think there was maybe two professors, one dark room that had like twelve enlargers. Um, you know, there wasn't even a I think a digital class until maybe my junior or senior year anyway, but it was like really well known on campus that I could not get into photo classes. Like it was you know, kind of just the luck of the draw. If you were able to, you know, when you sign up for classes, if you like clicked on it at the right time, kind of like buying concert tickets, oh, you know, no. you just weren't sure if you're going to get it or not. So I had no luck doing it that way. So, um, 
my work study job, I actually worked in the equipment distribution center for yeah. like all the video um, students that would come and like hand up, hand up their gear and everything. Um, check the equipment, make sure it worked. And they're in the same building on the third floor, there was a dark room. So I was like, okay, maybe this is my end. I can like, you know, get to know the people in the program. And I actually got a job in the dark room um, as part of my work study job before I got into the actual photo program. So, um, but you know, that's the way I kind of like figured out maybe this could be my path. I worked on it and just kind of worked that angle and got to meet, you know, the, the students, the professors and, you know, that's kind of how I was able to make my way into the department. And it wasn't until maybe the, the second year of, of classes that I was doing photography that I took a documentary class. And I had no idea what that meant, <laughs> like a documentary photography, not not film. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know it at the time, but, you know, I was, I was learning about photojournalism. But it was, the school was the photo classes at the school were taught by art teachers or former like art um, students. So, you know, it's still you know, got to the idea of like telling visual photos truthfully through still images. And like once it clicked, I was like, oh, my God, this, this is amazing. Like, this is what I want to do. This is super cool. Um, so anyway, fast forward, I graduate. Um, I actually decide to leave Boston and move to Connecticut because the guy I fell in love with is from Connecticut and that's where he lived. So um, I actually started um, at uh, got my first job out of school at a photo studio. So it wasn't super glamorous, but um, it really, you know, I was able to think on my feet a lot and figure out problems on the fly because, you know, I was using medium format film cameras, like taking pictures of um, weddings and proms and high school students and families and yeah. like all that stuff. And, you know, it was really, it was actually a really great learning experience. At the time, I was like thinking I was, you know, kind of wasting my time. What am I doing? Like, I don't know if this is, you know, the right place for me but um like i said I, I i still value my time that i had there for the couple of years that i was doing it because um there was just like so much i learned problem solving figuring out light and um you know working figuring out like how when you have to do a job it's not just for pleasure you know yeah um, so figuring out how to still like get it done but like put your imprint on it i guess in a way so um yeah. so when, like after I was there for a while. I, you know, decided, like, okay, it's time for the next step. You just, I don't know. For me, it's, I was just kind of get this like internal feeling, like just trust my gut. That's always been, you know, kind of my, my guiding light, I guess you could say. Yeah. Uh, I was just like, okay, I know it's time to move on here. What are we, what are we going to do? And I was just kind of looking around I'm like, well, you know, I kind of want to stay in Connecticut. I know ESPN is in Connecticut. You know, I really liked, you know, editing the pictures. I didn't even know that's technically what it was called, I guess, at the time. But, you know, looking through a take, like figuring out which ones are the best, like especially even weddings, like I figured out how to tell kind of a story and like going back to, you know, my documentary class and like the kind of the skills I learned there, like figuring it out and building like an albums together. But it sounds simple, but like at the same time, like it's really, you know, how I learned. Yeah. But um, so I really just started looking for I just started kind of scouring ESPN's like job postings and looking through um see if there was even like an, an option for, for photography there I'm like I might hire photographers I don't know yeah and then I saw a posting for a photo editor like entry level like um you know I think it was even part-time and I just jumped at the chance I like applied for the job somehow got an interview my mind was blown <laughs> I can't believe this and you know uh come to find out it was actually 
kind of a really easy interview. <laughs> but, um, um, but, you know, I still like got, you know, business attired up and like went in and it was, you know, as you've been to ESPN before, yeah. it's a kind of a casual, you know, work environment as far as like, you know, dress goes and oh, yeah. for entry level people. <laughs> so it felt like kind of like, oh my God, I'm such a nerd. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, I guess it, it all worked out because I was, I was offered the job and, you know, um, like I said, it's um, just kind of worked my way up from the bottom and um, went from assistant editor to, I can't remember like the exact um, job titles now, but, um, you know, worked my way up to being a senior photo editor and, yeah. you know, got to, went from essentially like taking in photo requests that was more research-based and creating photo galleries and stuff like that to, um, you know, managing teams of photographers at Super Bowls and, you know, national titles and things like that. And, um, even produced, uh, body shoots. Yeah. For the ESPN magazine, RIP. Yeah. That's right. Uh, so and then, yeah. And then I came to Connecticut Public when I thought, you know, same kind of thing, like, okay, I think it's time to, to move on and see what else is out there. I'm ready to learn something new. So I'm really excited to dive in on when you thought you, you said it great. Like I felt like at the time I was wasting time working at a photo studio. Like I hear stuff like this from kids. I, I say it to myself, like there's times in my life where I'm like, man, I really, if I could look back, I would have redone those few years or something. What, what were some of the things that at the time you thought you were wasting time that now you look back and you're like, wow, that was actually totally priceless to learn whatever it was. Mm, um, Maybe not I mean, a specific thing, but you know what I mean? Like I, I know I worked at Best Buy for three years and between colleges. And it was like, at the time I was like, what am I doing? This is so stupid. And then now in hindsight, I'm like, if I wouldn't have went through all of those days of getting told no by people dealing with dumb mundane tasks and like all these stupid things I did, um, and running a business, you know, I understood profit and loss and stuff like that very quickly. Um, I look back and I'm always like, wow, this was like kind of priceless to have those years of working for this corporation doing this crappy retail job but at the same time um i'm sure at the time you had the same thought about this position at a photo studio yeah i i did especially i mean maybe not right away but once the kind of the reality sunk in about what i'd be doing day to day i was like okay i'm like well there's got to be stuff i can learn like it's all good like you know it was a family-run business that was in business you know forever um but but yeah i mean i learned how to survive on very little money <laughs> for sure. um and uh so that was a good lesson um you know it also helps you understand like what you don't want to do for the rest of your life too like i knew i was like okay dealing with the public in a retail kind of way is not what i want to do because not only did i photograph but i also like had to help you know talking about people wearing all the hats like i yeah. had to you know kind of pitch in when when needed to help um you know, like sell packages and stuff like that. Um, and go through the photos with the customers, you know, and you know, it's, it's hard to please people. <laughs> yeah. To say the least, that's the main yeah. reason I don't want to ever get become a wedding photographer is just cause I don't want to deal with people and have to like explain how this works over and over. Like the they're career so working like wedding photographers and wedding photographers. I, I know many in there. Oh my God. They're so extremely hardworking. I couldn't be able to do it. Yeah. Not, yeah. not you, but, um, you know, I applaud them for having that energy like year after year after year. <laughs> Me too. When you transitioned into the editorial world and working at ESPN, what like so I think another big thing to talk about that may seem obvious to some people is like you went from like researching and putting things together. I kind of think of it as like when you hear the term photo editor, it's like two different tasks. It's like one is like 
input. You know, they're like taking stuff in from the field or they're going through galleries and they're you're kind of like doing what we would do as a photographer, as a photo editor. And then there's the other half, which is kind of more like the assigning and the, you know, kind of the bigger picture stuff. So when you started out, you were on that intake side. Like I said, those are my terms. It's not like the proper terms. Um, what were some of the things you were doing when you started out? Uh, at the beginning at ESPN, that's a good question. I was, um, you know, we had we had a system where um, reporters and editors could essentially submit a request for an image that they needed for their story. Um, so we would, you know, take that, you know, take a look at it, get an understanding of what their story is. Um, take a look through the wire services and, um, you know, start figuring out what images are going to work, um, downloading those, cropping them at a million different sizes at the time. Like, cause you know, even at the time ESPN.com wasn't super, um, I guess robust as it is now. Um, so there was, and there wasn't as much automation built in and back end up and all the technology that exists now, it wasn't as robust back, uh, back then, but, um, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of just research requests, working nights, sometimes working, you know, um, I'm going to say when, um, you know, big games would happen, like, you know, especially Super Bowls, the NBA finals, things like that, like, I'd always put in like extra time. And those are the exciting, you know, nights for me is, you know, you could see actually like the photos unfold as you are watching the game and see like how quick, you know, the photos come in from when you like are seeing the action on the screen. So we would have, you know, TVs in our cubes so we could watch um the action as it was going like okay i'm like okay this is i gotta make sure that like i'm looking for this play because i know that someone's going to be asking for it and we would just you know be feeding kind of the the photos into the into the machine as it were i guess yeah Um, and then you know and also kind of creating galleries on the on the fly that would try and tell a story of the game i was very was not very good at it back then but (laughs) still you know try to um you know, get a, get a good mix of, um, fans and action and pregame, postgame, you know, all that kind of stuff to kind yeah. of like build a story to hope, to hope that people would click on it and look through it. Yeah. And then as time went on, then you got into more, I assume a more similar role to what you're doing now. What were some of the, or, or was there like a big moment where you went from like, Oh, I was editing like the NBA finals gallery at 10 o'clock at night alone in Bristol to then all of a sudden one day you got a project that you're like, wait a second, I'm somebody. <laughs> was there like a project that like you turned a corner oh, or something? That still has not happened. <laughs> um, no. I think um, once I was finally, I guess, like allowed to like call photographers or like pitch photographers for assignments that would come in because, you know, when I first started, like that only happened at ESPN, the magazine, and I was focused purely on ESPN.com. And eventually as the years went on, like we combined like two photo departments at the same company. It doesn't make a ton of sense. So we combined efforts and, you know, uh, finally they kind of like, you know, relinquished some of the control to other photo editors um, to be able to, you know, um, first it was, uh, they would suggest photographers to the photo editors um, before, like I really knew about the whole wide world out there, but there's like a million people, um, you know, working really, really hard to get their, their work seen. Like, why don't we like expand the net a little bit more? And, you know, that just kind of happened naturally almost at at the beginning anyway, when you have like more photo editors in the mix, like everybody's got their own networks and um, their own people that they're keeping their eye on. Um, But yeah, I can't remember like an actual like click that, um, that kind of happened. I think I would say first it probably happened still in like the more of the research side of it when I was responsible for making sure like taking like, um, the body issue from ESPN the magazine, like making sure that is presented online 
in uh, in the right way. So there was this a lot of work that went into making those galleries and um, figuring out the right um, stories, uh, photos for the stories um, that came out of the magazine and stuff. Because I felt like more at that point, I was like part of a bigger team yeah. in a different way, um, where I wasn't just um, I don't know one. I mean, I was always a part of a team, but I felt like we were we were going towards like one specific like project mission versus um, you know something more like in the new cycle that you're kind of turning. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think at the time, and I'm sure that's changed, everything's changed, but like at the time, like you were kind of doing, like you said, you had ESPN.com and ESPN magazine. So like the magazine could be doing these big kind of produced like hyper high level feature stories. And then ESPN.com was a lot of feed in the beast probably of like, like you're saying like, Hey, this game's happening. We're writing a story on, well, nowadays it'd be like show high or something, you know, like we're gonna do a story on him playing baseball this week. So like chase, and we need like a good photo of him from the wire this week while versus, you know, then you go on the other side of the fence and it's like, we're doing, you know, getting real access with this, like, okay, what are we, how are we going to use our time with them? And yeah, it was either, we're going to uh, do a studio shoot with like lights and background and, you know, and everything like that. Or it's going to be more like, you know, documentary style figure following them for a day or part of the day. Or if there's like a deeper story to tell. Yeah. Which, of course, like I was gravita- gravitated towards towards those versus like the studio shoots. Because at first I was like, I don't, I don't know, it makes a good studio photo. <laughs> like, I can say what I like, but like I, it's so, I don't know, more, I guess, uh, subjective that way um for those styles of shoots it's really you know i guess just the approach and if you i remember like getting kind of like over seeing the same style uh over and over again for the covers and uh you know again sometimes that just kind of goes in cycles and waves depending on yeah who's staff and who's in charge and all that kind of stuff but um but yeah i think there was at the very beginning of the magazine there was like i think they're taking like a lot of risks photographically like you know you didn't really it was, it was before athletes like had their own brands and stuff, you know what I mean? And like now there, it's just a, a lot different, a lot of, a lot more, I don't know, like effort is the right word for it, but a lot, just a lot more goes into getting all the pieces in place for big shoots like that. Yeah. I would, uh, sports as a, as an aside, I think sports coverage has changed so much. I talked to some of the older, uh, I got a friend who's like an older NFL writer he's not that old but you know he's older and he comes from like the before times of like before social media as much and he talks about how like when you covered an athlete or you covered a story like you're there as a reporter and following ethics and like all the things that i still do and he said there's a lot of people in the industry now that are like fans and want to be like friends with these people that they're covering you know and he like so he, he always like sends me like who got i think dak got injured last year somebody got injured and there was like all these tweets and like posts from all these journalists basically like hope you get better buddy like kind of stuff and like things like that and it's like it seems innocent but he's like are you like are you really going to be pulling the hard questions when he comes back you know about his career or about his pay or about whatever you know if you if you see him as like an equal or a friend and it's just kind of interesting but to say that trickles down now is it's like now as far as coverage goes like do they even need to do a story with you when they like can just partner with a brand and like do a project at, on their Instagram or on their YouTube or on their whatever. I'm sure it's got it. The dynamic must have changed so quickly. And like the value you would have got from doing an ESPN feature piece versus now it's like, well, I'll just do my own thing. 
Right, right, right. No, exactly. I think that's so true. I mean, that you see the same shifts in, in photography, right? Like, think about all the access that photographers used to get back in the day, like when Walter Yost Jr. was photographing, was hang, hanging out in dugouts, like, go, like, roam anywhere. And now the restrictions they place on photographers, I'm sure you, you know, because oh, yeah. it didn't, it was like, uh, the COVID aside, like, you know, you don't get nearly as much access everything is very controlled even from the teams um who's got the you know what tv um uh, stations that got the rights to the um to the games and then yeah and then i think the athletes themselves are just so super hyper aware of themselves and how they come across in the world and just want to be very protective of themselves and you know i totally totally understand that but you know i feel like i don't know maybe it'll pendulum swing back the other way a little bit yeah, I think I think if somebody big did it, like if you know somebody big let the access happen again, I think you'd see it trickle down. Because like um, I'm in Nashville now, and it's country music. I, I hang around with I have friends in the industry, and I cover the industry both as like advertising jobs and as news jobs and stuff. And it's um it's it's very similar in the sense that like you go to these. I'll go to I went to a studio a week or two ago, and a friend was recording, and I came and hung out. And you see these photos in there from like 30, 40, 50 years ago. And you're like looking at like Johnny Cash and so-and-so or Willie Nelson and this guy in the studios. And I'm like, yeah, like these artists would like never let this happen now. Or if they did, they wouldn't like it would have been by their photographer that they pay that like they own the copyright. You know what I mean? It's like and that's not 100 percent true. But like in general, it's like there's shots that you would have got in the 60s or 70s when everyone's doped up just being like, let's let's make some country music, boys. And like now it's just like you got to talk to my PR person who has a PR manager, who has a brand manager who also has to go through the record label. And it's like, I'm sure an athlete's the same way. It's like, well, I've got an agent and the agent has a PR person. It's just like yeah. whole list. Honestly, similar to how I guess the, the, the shift kind of changed behind the scenes at ESPN too, like the storytelling, because you know what I, you know, after experiencing, you know, working with, um, producing shoots with athletes and stuff then we started not start. I mean, we, the, Let's say the um, a lot of the stories that I liked telling there in regards to sports was like the more hyper local um, style of photo stories, like somebody in, you know, a super small town is, you know, what are what are they going through right now? What are the struggles like? Show me like a, a small soccer team, you know, somewhere, you know, in the middle of America. Um there's an athlete that's over, you know, a high school athlete that's overcoming, you know, um, some sort of, um, you know, um, Sorry, I'm like trying to figure out. No, like, it's like some. Uh, I'm getting there. More like I'm, the local stories where you're covering like uh like a small team or a small town, not not a star. I mean, that's all there really is. You know, it's like it's a sports story that's not about Derek Jeter or you know LeBron James or something. It's a sports story. It's about sport. Mm-hmm. And, it's about it's about the spirit of the sport and the athletes themselves and like why sport is important and it's you know just like how photography is a reflection of our lives i feel like sport is also a reflection of our lives and i like when the two like come together it's just i don't know there's really there's something really special there with um visual stories when it comes to to sports and getting to the the people that play the sports too and like why they do it and you know it's how it helps them in their lives as a whole yeah i had a my professor at school he kind of he used the example of No Country for Old Men, the Cormac McCarthy book. Like that was this, that was the book he suggested to me that like clicked storytelling for me. And he's like, you know, he showed some story, you know, and it's like, is this story about 
you know, AIDS, or is this story about, you know, this, or this story about that. I remember there was some AIDS story, that's why I brought it up, but anyways, it was about, like, a person dying of AIDS, and they like, is the story about that? And it's like, no, the story, like, that's the thing that pushes the story forward, but the story is really about, you know, the, the two people's relationship over time as, like, the caregiver and, you know, the person dying of AIDS or whatever. And that, like, again, no clue what story it was. That's just, I remember that that it was a discussion. And Cormac McCarthy in this book, like, the story is about him chasing some kind of banditos, you know, like, you know, cartel guy and a normal dude that get caught up in a drug deal gone bad, if you've ever seen the movie or read the book. Um, but that's not really the story's about. The story's about the sheriff and realizing that he's behind the times and that, you know, the world he knew has changed. And like, and I was like, wow. So I read the, then I went and read the book and I got it. And I was, it's like exactly what you're saying is it's like the story, it's a sports story. And I put that in quotes, but it's a sports story, but really it's a human story. Sports is just the motivator. That's what it sounds like you're saying. No, absolutely. And you get, you know, and sports just help drive the, I guess, the emotional intensity of, of the stories home, too, because if you have an idea of like who this person is, um, you know, in their daily life and, you know, maybe the struggles that they're going through and then you see what they're putting out on the field and you get like the agony of defeat, you know, or the elation of, um, you know, of of triumph you know it's just like i don't know man there's there's nothing like it i still get goosebumps like talking about that kind of stuff and like yeah. being able to present it it's just so true and raw and um and honest that's just i don't know it doesn't get much better than that i agree so this makes a lot of sense then why you would make a transition right i mean this kind of answers the question i was going to ask of like well why transition from espn to public broadcasting i guess is a better word um this kind of makes sense. I'm sure this had to be at the core of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That type of storytelling, like what I get out of, you know, the work that I do. And I'm like, I work really hard and I'm really passionate about, about working and, and telling stories and, you know, just lifting people up and um, through the, you know, the telling of their stories. And, you know, I just, um, yeah, I thought it was, it was harder to get the kind of work that I was really passionate about done at ESPN because of the same you know, reasons we've already talked about, just, um, the more, you know, the business behind sports was getting more intense and the access was getting more restrictive. And we, you know, not, maybe not as many people who came in the ESPN really wanted to see those like really small stories about, you know, the, what's happening in a, a small town that you've never heard of, um, you know, that kind of thing. So I was, you know, I was like ready to, to, to look for a move just because it's, you know, it's just important to me to be fulfilled through, through my job. I mean, you know, you're in this business, you yeah. <laughs> and the same thing. Um, so you know, that's not to say that I'm not, you know, um, blind to the fact that, you know, there's still always going to be like the work to get done that nobody really wants to do. So. Yeah. Um, but, but you still have a job to do. I mean, we're thankful. I'm thankful that I have a job and you get paid to do this kind of stuff. But but yeah, it was, um, you know, this opportunity um, came about to be the visual director. And I was also at the point in my career. I'm like, you know, I think, you know, I just where where can I go next? Like, I'm always want to learn something new, too. Um, so I thought I'm like, I really feel like I should, you know, I started out like trying to get into the video and, and film industry. I'm like, what if you know, there's an opportunity some, somehow, somewhere where I could, you know, still tell stories, but, you know, do it with moving pictures also. And, you know, this opportunity came up, I, um, did the, um, you know, went through the process and was lucky enough to, to get the job. And now I'm, you know, working with, um, you know, a staff of, of visual journalists and, and production technicians versus, you know, working with, um, 
uh, people who had, you know, uh, hire for jobs, you know, working within it. So I feel like, you know, it's, it's a lot different, like starting, you know, kind of from the beginning, like building, you know, a team and building on what was already here and just kind of helping, helping to bring it to the next level. That's awesome. It's, it's interesting because it's like, I feel like anybody at the surface would see you went from ESPN to pretty much anywhere else. And that's like, what happened? Something bad must have happened or something. And I don't mean that in an offensive way, but you know what I mean? No, no, but it's like, but like, that. I always, I always meet and you're not the only one, but I have people in my life in the career that have like went from somewhere that, you know, has a, has a bigger name, I guess. Uh, and they, they go to somewhere else that has a smaller name or, or, you know, maybe a lateral move or they go freelance or, you know, I just saw a guy yesterday that, uh, was a team photographer and he left and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I bet a lot of people reading this are probably like, why would you ever leave that job? And me, I know a million reasons I'd leave that job, like a billion reasons I'd leave that job like tomorrow or why would you, why I haven't applied to any of those jobs? Cause they look like a ton of work with no thanks. But, um, but anyways, that's to say what, what has that transition been like? It, I mean, I'm sure in addition to the stories you're telling is obviously very different, but it's also like, it wasn't a downgrade. It was in ways probably a better fit maybe at that point in your career. Yeah, I think, I think you said it right. Yeah. At that point in my career, it was, is the right move. I was ready for a different challenge. And, um, I feel like, yeah, coming, coming here initially, I think some people were like, what's this person with photo backgrounds coming to like do TV and video work and also photo work. But, um, it's, it's yeah it was i mean i worked at this job for about two two months before covid hit and uh, so it was really like still getting to know everybody and people should still uh starting to still get to know me and then you know we went remote and everything stopped and you know because there was so many unknowns at the time we were really restrictive on who we would you know allow out in the field um like the radio reporters weren't going out they you know switched to zoom doing their interviews, you know, with, with people through zoom and everything. So there wasn't even an opportunity to like get out in the field with them. And then it's like, okay, if we go out, like, what do we do? Like things that seem obvious now, like we're not back then it's even only a year and a half ago. And it's hard wow. to, but like we were literally doing nothing, but, um, you know, we still tried to, you know, take, take all the proper precautions and just think really, really, really critically every time that we would, um, to send a photographer out in the field or a videographer out and if it was outside like all the better but even so it would be like a very tiny crew like I mean, not that we have like huge crews <laughs> at public media but still like uh you know a videographer like okay well you're going to use your on-camera mic and you know and just keep your distance and get what you can get and you know it wasn't really until the the spring and summer that we really started doing uh productions again like but again still those were mainly outside and if we had to do an indoor interview it was you know, distant and masks on and yeah. all that stuff. Um, but then, you know, as, as slowly things, you know, um, happened as it got like later in the summer, like we kind of like started, we scale back a little bit on, on some of the stuff, but still like we're really super hyper careful. Like, okay, everybody drive their own car. <laughs> like, yeah. you're going to meet on site and all that kind of just a whole other level of like learning this new job and all that on top of it. It was, um, it was tough, but like thankfully, like everyone, you know, remained safe and didn't have any you know, uh, health problems or anything or health scares and stuff like that. So we're really lucky. Yeah. It's hard. This career, it was interesting. I mean, I lost a ton of money and a ton of work last year, obviously as a freelancer, but 
what was interesting is like you know it's a job you have to keep doing like i remember my dad calling me and being like well you should probably just not not cover this stuff you should probably not do this and i'm like yeah that's kind of what i signed up like that's what i went to school for you know so i'm at these testing centers and doing all these things and i'd see my buddy andrew from the paper adam and you know we're doing everything we knew to do at the time or whatever but it was kind of like you know it's it's a job you have to keep doing you know like protests happen and you gotta go it's like you kind of you don't get to choose so it's like hard because it's like you know it's like well i'd love to go sit at home and not leave ever and just somehow magically have money but it's like right. I, gotta, I gotta go to work like also, like you know it's that thing that drives you inside too like how do you not cover the biggest news story of our lifetime like you have to get out there and cover what's happening especially in our state, Connecticut, like what, what does it look like out there outside? You know, people are getting tested, you know, the healthcare workers are working like just, over, I don't know, double over, triple over time, you know, trying to, you know, just keep people alive and not have the crisis get even worse. And, you know, all that, there was just like, there was, yeah, it never ended. Yeah. There. It was so much stuff last year <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> uh, so what is, so what is your, when you were at ESPN and now, I guess we can go over both a bit, but like, what's the day-to-day look like? And again, this is kind of a question aimed at the younger people that listen, because I, I just think a lot of people that listen to the show probably don't have a, too much hands-on experience with like what a, an editor, visual editor, photo editor, video editor does at a day-to-day. And, and probably the later part, you know, in the earlier part of your ESPN, you were making galleries and probably a bit of a chasing around. But like when it came to the end, you know, when you're working on something like the body issue, like you know, what's the timeline on that? What's how much time are you spending like to like come up with something that's like a year once a year project? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a really good question because, you know, the body issues its own very specific um, thing, right? Like it was um, there was a lot, a lot of people involved in, in making that run. Um, and we had somebody who, um, you know, was uh, somebody who talked with the athletes and knew a lot of the agents and, you know, would always have a a good sense of who might be interested in participating, um, who might, you know, be, um, you know, a very significant athlete of the year that we want to, you know, try and highlight. And, um, you know, that a lot of those conversations were kept behind closed doors for obvious reasons. Um, you know, there's a lot of privacy that you need to, you know, consider in doing something, something like this when like, you know, an athlete might be considering it and it's just a very, you know, I can't even imagine, you know, I don't, I don't envy people how to actually like book the athletes, but once the athletes were actually booked and they agreed, and that's when it started, came to the, to the photo department and, um, essentially the director of photographies, um, decided, um, you know, who might be the right photo editor to pair up with, with team of, of athletes and stuff. And then we just kind of started thinking about, um, photographers first is usually like the first thing that we think about, um, like knowing you know obviously doing the counter research about who the athlete is um some maybe some other photographer um photos of the athlete that have been out there you know i want to look at and see just to get a sense of maybe their personality and for that type of project it was really important i think to pair the right photographer with the athlete so they have a good dynamic sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't you just never really know but i mean it's a try um and then, you know, you start thinking about um, places and locations and stuff. And sometimes that would already be determined. Sometimes you would be able to get to decide or at least like offer suggestions. So, um, so it's just a lot of back and forth. Like it's not all just 
you know, oh, I'm just going to be here today. I'm going to go fly to this location and fly over here and go to somewhere tropical. Like, it's not like that at all. Like, there's so much work that goes on behind the scenes. And, um, but yeah, once, you know, you pitch the photographers to your bosses and, you know, you come you know, to kind of, uh, um, you know, the, the one or two that you think you might want. Sometimes, you know, you just reach out to them to say like, Hey, these are the dates that we're thinking of, you know, for this. Uh, we don't, we don't even always say the athlete at first. I can't really remember. It's been a little while. Like it's weird. I have the worst <laughs> memory. I have to say, like, I haven't been in it in a while, oh, but yeah. like my brain has been like in a completely different space. But from what I can remember, um, you, essentially like once the photographer is selected you just start thinking about um you ask the photographer you give them the name of the athlete and like you know kind of um what their story is um where they're at in their life right now what maybe a little bit about the career if they if they need um they're not sure and then you know you really for that particular shoot you ask um the photographers to like give you some ideas like okay give me some concepts like what are you thinking like how how are you seeing this in your play out in kind of your head and they send us a couple of different mood boards and um sometimes it's their own work sometimes it's like you know work that um of other photographers or of the athletes themselves and they'll give like a little brief like okay i think we should you know do this outdoors you know really minimal um landscape or if they want to like hey i think we should do it like underwater or you know yeah. I think we should do the studio with this specific lighting and this is why and then we just kind of like roll it around and kind of just zero in on an idea and then just kind of run with it and then then it's like even the, the real work <laughs> kind of starts like that's all the fun stuff and then you gotta be like okay let me just I'll figure this out i need um you know to get you know secure the studio get the budgets figured out um, make sure you clear this with the athlete and their people, um, figure out, you know, food on set, like all this kind of stuff that all comes down to the photo editor, figuring out everything and like making sure things run smooth. And even on the day of like, you know, making sure the schedule is there, you do the call sheets, all that kind of stuff. Um, or, you know, sometimes if you're lucky enough that you can have the budget to work with a production company and they'll help you through all that extra stuff, like yeah. finding, you know, if it's um, if you need to go out on a boat, like where are we gonna, you know, where are yeah. we gonna dock? Where are we gonna leave from? Like who's the good, um, uh, you know? Um, um, what can I think of the word? <laughs> oh yeah, no, like it's just like all these logistics, <laughs> yeah, something. all that kind of stuff, and figuring out okay, like if we start at five a.m., are we gonna have a break in the middle of the day and then go over to this other location and like all that kind of stuff? It's just a lot of yeah, a lot of producing and just like kind of figuring yeah. out all the things that could come up and. Just, trying to make it run as smooth as possible and not make anybody angry and keep everybody happy. Yeah. <laughs> no, just make sure that the, everyone and like all the personalities are, are okay. So you can like get what you need at the end of the day. Yeah. So now it's, it's intense. It's like so, so intense. You know, you've done photo shoots. Like, yeah. That's like, like, that's like the intense, you know? biggest planned project probably ever. <laughs> what, um, what about like now or in the past, like what's the timeline or time frame on a normal story or project you work on? Like, you know, and now you have a, a, a crew, like you have, you're not as like ESPN is, I mean, I, virtually all freelancers probably the whole time, I assume. But, um, but now like, you know, what, what's the time frame between like something coming across your desk or an idea in a meeting to like finished? Like what's that kind of look like now? Gosh, it could be really super quick turnaround. It could be kind of medium or it can be like really long. Um, it, we just do so many different types of stories and types of, of, um, I guess formats. Um, you know, last summer we worked on this, um, art show that was six episodes, half an hour long each. 
And, you know, we were essentially out in the field for like two to three days a week for like a month and a half straight, just going to different areas of the state, setting up interviews with artists. Um, it was a hosted show. So um, hosted by Ray Hardman, who's our arts and culture reporter. Um, and we kind of just like discovered art around the state along with him and each show like had it hit its own format like we um talked with a local almost like the world of fixer i guess and from the photo term world but was essentially the um you know a local um art expert in a particular town okay hey this is who you need to check out today i'm going to send you this person's house i'm going to send you this person's studio they would go and sit down and have a conversation with them and stuff so anyway probably giving you too much information but that's cool because it's like i think i think a lot of people don't know about that stuff that it's like it's not some (laughs) magic thing you pull from the sky like people always think to me it's like like oh how'd you find this guy on that assignment you did i'm like i didn't find this guy <laughs> like somebody else did that i did i showed up and shot the interview or or did the photo i didn't i didn't do that sometimes i do but 90 percent of the time there's somebody that knows the local area or something that finds it for you right exactly yeah, there's a lot of work that happens before you even like decide to go out and film right yeah um, or shoot stuff so um so yeah that that's one type of format that we do that was like all original, you know, um, conceptualized and produced through Connecticut public. And then, you know, we've got like the shorter, like digital videos, like we, um, last year when, you know, the protests after George Floyd's death were happening all across the country, they're happening here in Connecticut also. And, you know, we, one thing we noticed being out there was there was like a lot of, a lot of youth activists. And, you know, I was talking with one of our um, visual journalists and I was like, you know, I'm really curious to hear what um the youth activist has to say like outside of a protest like you know what let's just have conversations with people so um that's really all he needed to kind of take it and run with it and you know found the people and did sit down interviews some like really beautiful video portraits and ended up with like really powerful with maybe like a 10 minute piece um that you know we had online and a lot of people ended up finding and that even grew to like a new england uh based piece that was similar just we did it throughout new england uh, as well as like kind of a second part of it and you know so we really have i guess the ability to come up with ideas and launch on them right away or something a little bit bigger like a tv production that would go on broadcast that definitely takes like a lot more time and then we can do something even small like um one of the um visual journalists on my team came up with the idea because he heard about this guy trying to break a record on how many times he could jump out of an airplane in one day. I saw that like, on your Instagram <laughs> the other day. <laughs> like, get the drone up there. You can like, do all sorts of cool stuff. Like, and he, like, he worked it. It was a full day. He got there at, like, five in the morning for the first jump. And, you know, it was, it took him all day. And then we turned that, that video, like, you know, three, three to five minute video, I think, and turned that around in the next week um that also had some like you know a nice uh, photo story with it too so yeah. it's it's great to have that you know kind of i guess the freedom to be able to create all these different places and have the platforms to do it so you know and then sometimes we can you know recut it for for, for tv too sometimes we don't sometimes we just leave it in digital and, and social but uh, kinda like it's, it's kind of cool because you're you're like doing news like uh, you know a news station or whatever would do but you're not really doing like spot news and like the you know it's not like it's not like news news it's it's a little more featurey it sounds like you can leave out news we definitely do that too like we do you know the stories definitely come up where we're like okay i'm gonna go here and photograph or excuse me interview you know um somebody for this really important story i need to talk for um to come with me and you know we definitely you know some stories are still just you know still image stories which is totally fine and you know we really 
special powerfully that way as well, or it's just audio and stills. And um, yeah, we're just kind of figuring out because, you know, it, I'm learning that at, at public media stations, there's uh, a lot of people, like I, I mentioned earlier, that everyone kind of wears all the hats, which they're kind of used to, like the radio reporters, you know, they would go out and, you know, sometimes, they'd, you know, um, sign out a camera and shoot their own pictures and take their own audio and file their own stories and, you know, record it for uh, record it for air, all things considered a morning edition. And then it also have to, you know, write it up for web and which they still do. But, you know, now we're trying to find a way to elevate the stories even more and like have more impact with, um, you know, stronger visuals and sending photographers out and just like the whole new like learning process that I've been through <laughs> once before at ESPN on a di- kind of a, a different scale, but um, still like it's, I don't know, it's exciting to do it again. It's neat. It's super cool. It's, it's neat to hear the other side of, I always love hearing what editors do. I mean, I'm, I'm fairly well versed at this point in my career, but it's always cool to hear how things can scale, how the speed at which things happen. And um, like I said, I think a lot of the, the, the people still in college, like, you know, it's really easy to hear about photographers for some reason we're like all idolized, like, but the editors are so important and they, you know, it's, it's, it's also hard to find, you know, editors in general, I think. Um, even as a photographer, it's like, it's hard to like gain this insight. So it's really cool to hear. Yeah. It's, I mean, editors are so important because you, you really need that support. I feel like as photographers and also vice versa, you know, cause the editors are like, you find the right ones, of course, can be like the, the best cheerleaders for you and yeah. really like push hard for, you know, you to be considered. I'm, I'm talking more now for, from ESPN's perspective, but um, to really push hard to, you know, get you assigned a story that we're like thinking like, no, this person is the right one for this. Like we've yeah. got this photographer, um, you know, so, and it's also, yeah, that just, I feel like it's so valuable also. Like when I, as often as I could, I would, and now I do it of course, like uh, more often, but as often as I could at ESPN, I would, you know, also go through and edit with a photographer and be like, okay, this is what I really liked. And this is why, and just some frames that I think like you just, totally crushed it with and something like this I think is more of like I've seen it before and isn't really giving me anything new you know just talking through all those things about um how you're building the story visually you know because I think like I learn things knowing what it's like from a photographer's point of view when they're like in it like in the scene like I can't even like, it's so hard to do what you guys do like I wouldn't like I had so much anxiety that uh, I was I gotta do that um it's hard to but, balance your checkbook the photo part's yeah. the easy part that that part's you know, I was talking to somebody recently and they were, I was like, you know, the job is getting the job <laughs> like, you know, like doing the work. Yeah, it is hard, but it's it's mostly just being ready when somebody calls you and, and making them call you, I guess, is, is hard, um, which shameless plug on Patreon. We're going to talk about pitching stories, uh, which we'll t- when we go over to Patreon, we'll talk about like what what does an editor want to hear in a pitch? Has there been a project that you've worked on um, either at ESPN or at public radio or public uh that Connecticut public that you've really just loved or that you've you know really poured your heart into or or that really was exciting covering like a college football championship because you talked about that in the beginning and you were talking about like you went from editing these galleries to then like managing a team at like you know and I know for ESPN like the college football championships as from broadcast and I'm sure as well for ESPN it's got to be one of the biggest things of the year yeah, no, for sure. That's a, that's a, yeah, those are some good stories there probably. Um, and also like something that I noticed that nobody really has figured out. So like, so I would say, especially for younger listeners, like don't think that, you know, 
there's there's no I'm gonna say uh, careers are really really long so there's always space to learn new things and at the beginning nobody has a clue so (laughs) (laughs) my first Super Bowl I um uh and you asked about um college football championships but either one all the same um I really like again like I mentioned at the, at the beginning when I first started like hiring photographers at ESPN we always kind of like um there was like the, the same kind of rotation of photographers over and over again so it was like usually like, same crew for the Super Bowl um you all went and did the same thing every time and um really it was the, once the game hit you know really it's, it's creating a photo gallery um of the game you know not really following any storylines other than the story of the game um and so when I first Super Bowl that's what it was like I was kind of out there like kind of solo it's very small like just a photographers me another photo editor and then you know um by the time i left we were able to secure i mean because you know credentials are not always easy to come by in uh in big games like that but um you know we were able to i think one time go up and be four photographers on um, three photo editors and you know not being a major um wire service like getty we don't you know at the time didn't like figure out like who we had to call to be able to have the type of file from the field. Like we had, you know, card runners, you know, um, also that were part of the team and stuff. And essentially like it just kind of grew to the point where like, okay, what story are we going to tell before the, or stories are we going to tell before the game? Like, is it a fan piece? Is it something about Tom Brady? Is it a portrait, you know, story? Are we covering like the, the kind of the hoopla around the game itself? So we're trying to produce like um, some sort of like photo content every single day. And then the game, I would say, is probably the was it the Houston Super Bowl that the was the crazy comeback for the Patriots. I think so. That was a 28 to 3 game. Um, the um, it was the Falcons. No, that's right. Yeah. It was the Patriots against the Falcons, the Houston Super Bowl. That was like the crazy comeback. Yeah. That was like um, 2018 or I think. Yeah. And I remember like up to that point, it wasn't like a super exciting game. We're just kind of like sitting, like waiting for the photos to come in. I'm like, all right, it's kind of boring. And I'm like, uh oh, the Patriots are like losing really, really bad. And, you know, there wasn't like a ton of excitement like around. Then all of a sudden things kind of like started turning around. Like it was like, I don't know, the last five minutes of the game or something where they it scored. Was, like, it was late. Of- I know that. It yeah. was at least third quarter. I don't remember when. I should remember. I've seen enough T-shirts of it with like 28 to 3 whenever Patriots come to Buffalo. I just remember that being like a really crazy night and all of a sudden we were just like turned everything around and just started like kicked it into high gear, <laughs> like going through all the photos as fast as we can and finding all the ones that, you know, that were like important to tell the story of the game, like the crazy comeback because, you know, essentially it's like whatever happened in those last five minutes is all that matters. So that's what all we need to go through the photos to make sure that like we have, um, you know, the, the story represented the way we, we need to. And yeah, it was, very often we're the last people there in the building before the end of the night. And so we could get, because there's also like a team of people back in Bristol that you yeah. know, are waiting for the stuff to come in and they're helping put it all together as well. Um, whereas like it got to the point where like we were mainly like pushing through the photos, like finding the ones and looking then like kind of doing a back edit on, on the people that were doing the editing in Bristol. And uh, yeah, it all kind of all comes together eventually. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's amazing to think of all the moving moving pieces. So I was I did the Super Bowl as we've talked about on the show before, as people know. But like I did the Super Bowl this year for the first time ever, and I worked for Jason, and it was the first. It was I was the only one there, and like so every problem was like, well, you're there, so try figure it out, kind of thing. You know, it was like it just there's stuff you have to do there. So it was like 
I, I can't imagine the difference it would have been if you had editors because editors would have been able to figure out the photo positions or figured out the rule because the rules were changing every day. And it was just like, there's so many things that go into like an event of that scale. I did the RNC and the DNC before, and maybe that'll be something that Connecticut public does in the future. And it felt very similar where it's like, here's the rules. And like, you know, you go and you show up and it's like, those rules, screw those rules. This is the rules. And you'd be like, okay. And then like day two, you'd be like, there's a new rule. And like every day I felt like I show up and I'd be like, wait, they said yesterday we couldn't go here and now we have to go here. And it's like this door. And it, it wasn't that crazy, but it was just like, I felt like every day I was somewhere new and I'm like, okay, like whatever, I'll figure it out. <laughs> like, <laughs> No, absolutely. And, and especially in a event like the Super Bowl, like each day leading up to the game gets more and more intense and more and more restrictive also. And like the rules, so I can imagine like, yeah, going through the same thing when the rules are changing every day. And then, you know, you have to like think about all the logistics. Okay. Like we have a ton of, cause we would also sometimes come with like a, a big monitor to, so we can actually like see the pictures and like go through them faster instead of just on your tiny little lap- laptop screen screen so we had to make sure that we brought those in ahead of time and like we had our spots in the editing room and you know i remember the first like i mentioned the first super bowl that everyone to like we didn't even reserve a spot ahead of time and even we didn't even realize like oh oops like we have nowhere to sit what do we do now um so and nobody tells you these things and like who to talk to unless like you know somebody who's already have gone through it before and it's a lot of yeah every time you go and do something it's you're learning something you always say like it definitely keeps you really humble because you don't yeah you just you realize everything you don't know you don't know what you don't know until you're like he's like oh yeah (laughs) what's amazing to me is that like a lot of these thing events in general are like everyone assumes it's like all like totally butter smooth everything's planned out everything's working it's like it's never that way it's like everybody you get there and no one knows what they're doing on either side of the fence like we're showing up with credentials we don't know what we're doing then you show up and there's like a security guard or a pr person there that doesn't and it's just like so much of like the job editing and photo at a big event is just like sorting through all the people and all the things and like you know rubbing everyone's shoulders as you go by like hey thank you so much like please help me later when i definitely screw something else up (laughs) right right and then you know add on top of that if you have like photos or excuse me cameras up in the catwalk or something you need to go get to them at the end of the game and so like file them and like something and is the access still going to be there when i need to go up there and like like small these mazes of of um stairs and doorways and stuff like sometimes all of a sudden they're like oh nope this area is closed can't come through i'm like but i need my credential like nope doesn't matter (laughs) yep okay i'll be back in an hour with some supervisor from somewhere and be here till two in the morning or whatever oh man Exactly. So late nights <laughs> yeah and then, and then of course let's not forget about like the post game like who actually gets to be allowed on the field like you need a special credential for that too and yeah it's a whole yeah never ending or sorry an armband usually i think it is yeah. <laughs> i'm hoping i've done one hoping i'm there again next year we'll see yeah. hope yeah. that hope that i get but to yeah. go two for two yeah um, that you can get on the field and not be included too man it's so, uh, I camped out because we didn't have a spot marked off because they said you couldn't. And then the day of the like, Jason and I were both just like, you know what? If you get there before everyone, no one's going to be able to kick you out of a spot. So I got there at like 10 in the morning and I was there. And I think at 1230 or one, they handed out vests and I was like done. And I just literally pack muled it in and I brought all this stuff. And then, of course, like no one else came in until like four 
And then like all the rules of like, you got to be in one of these seats at these, you know, so I picked out one of those seats and then like, yeah, by the time the game started, like people were just sitting wherever and it was just like, Whoa. but anyways, it was a long day. I end every interview with like three questions. I ask everybody, you're the first editor. So some of these might not make sense, but whatever. They're just fun questions. And the idea is you take them wherever you want them to go. Um, but the first question is, what's one lesson that you or something you know now that you wish you would have known earlier or in the beginning of your career a lesson or whatever that would be hmm. that's a good question i mean i keep going back to um you know just that small little phrase that someone said to me one time that careers are long like i think people forget that that you don't have to accomplish everything right after you graduate or get into the industry like it's there's because at least for me maybe it's not true for everybody but like you know i can get bored after a while of doing the same thing over and over again thankfully you know in the you know visual storytelling there's something new to tell every single day which is great but um i think you know i it was it's easy to get frustrated at the beginning of your career when you don't feel like things are moving as fast as you think they should be um but at the same time i would say just kind of be be thankful that you've got that time because the longer your career goes on the more responsibility that you're going to have and the more (laughs) you know life responsibility and also like the more experience you're going to have in that you're going to put even more pressure on yourself and you know you're gonna constantly always have that you know working mentality whereas you know at the beginning like you you go out you do your job you come home and you know like okay great you know file my pictures or i you know i um did what i need to do my email boxes inboxes cleaned out fine and then, you know, the longer your career goes on, it just gets more and more intense. So I would say, like, enjoy the time that you have. And it's OK that like don't, you know, base your success or your career path on anybody else's path. Like you don't get, you know, that that one job or your times, your New York Times assignment until later in your career. Like, that's OK. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. I, um, you know, I, I meet some uh, photographers that are just kind of at the beginning of their careers through the Eddie Adams workshop. I'm a producer there every year. and. I really enjoy doing that because I get to, you know, meet a lot of um, photographers who are starting out. And that's, you know, one thing that we really try and impart on them, like, hey, listen, like, because you're here doesn't mean anything specifically. Like, you can still go anywhere and do anything. And there's people that have gone through the, the, the workshop that aren't photographers anymore, or they, you know, switch to being a photo editor, um, which is fine. But yeah, I would say like careers are long and there's no rush. Yeah, that's an awesome. I've never heard that phrase. I love it because like I definitely feel like there's all like this career is really good at burning people out, I think. And it's like there's a lot of pressure. And it's uh, I was saying to somebody unrelated to photo, I was saying like I was at a concert the other day. I was talking to my friend and I was like, you know, you look back at music from like another generation and we only see the hits like we only see all the best songs from that decade. Right. And I said, if you go and listen to every CD that every one of those hits came off of, there's so many bad songs from that generations, you know, and because you watch, you listen to a new album and you listen to the whole album, you know, and you're like, oh, well, two or three of these songs aren't very good. And it's like, yeah, you know how many bad songs there was in the 80s and 70s? And still you can have entire radio stations of the good part. So it's like kind of feel similar. It's like, you know, when you get to the end of the career, then you'll be able to look back and see all the successes and you'll forget about, you know, the wedding you shot or the. Or the day you spent, you know, photographing Grippengrins at a ribbon cutting ceremony or trying right. to think of all the worst assignments I've had. 
There's always those press conferences you got to cover. That's right. Oh, pressers. Um, so the second question is, what is one thing, it doesn't have to be gear, but what's one thing or something you have to have on when you go out? It's normally when you go out to shoot, but when you go out on a project or, uh, you know, in the field, what's, what's something you have to have? Hmm, that is a really good question. Um, have I had to have before? Um, I'm trying to think of even when I traveled, if there's something I needed to have. I mean, besides like the right playlist um, or something when you're flying on a plane. Um, I mean, my noise canceling headphones, honestly, because I am a terrible sleeper. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm a really light sleeper. This is probably not what anybody wants to hear, but like, like having noise canceling headphones is like a godsend when you're in some place that use a new place to sleep uh, if you're on the road or something um, I, I have these white noise headphones by bose and they're called sleep buds and i hate things in my ears when i sleep but um i have like ringing in my ears so like i always i always have music on i always have the tv going because it's just like nightmare to be quiet and so but I have to sleep with these. So I, I have the same thing. I have these little headphone things that I bring with me and they're called sleep buds. And it's the same idea. It's like I get to a hotel or somebody's house or something. And I'm like, I can't sleep. <laughs> so I put on like rain noise or something in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the ocean that always helps. Yeah. There's so many logistics that are like so important when you're traveling that no one ever thinks of. Like I, I'm like really proud of how well I can pack a book bag uh, because I've done it my whole career. And I, I went on a road trip with some friends for Fourth of July and him and his dad and they show up and we took his pickup truck instead of mine and i get in there and i'm like all right and he's i put in my book bag and i think i had my camera and i had like a lens pouch with my flash and he was just like okay where's the rest of your stuff and i'm like that is all my we're only going for a weekend and they open up the truck and they've got like the whole truck full like the whole back seat of the truck and the whole bed of the truck was full of stuff and i'm like i'm like guys like what we're going for three days like what are we doing here that is very good advice. I've gotten that advice too. It was like pack light. You don't need a lot. Like you realize you don't need like 20 different outfits. Like you need something comfortable. You need your comfortable shoes. Like sneakers are hugely important. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've gotten huge into bringing sandals with me everywhere or Crocs. Oh. Only. It's just like so nice at the end of a day when you got to go in and out of the hotel a bunch of times or down for breakfast that you just throw yeah. Crocs on. It's clutch. Crocs for making a comeback. Um, big, big Crocs fan. Um, <laughs> So the last question is, we have a wide variety of audience. It's uh, a lot of young people, some photo editors, uh, mostly Jason. Um, and we have, you know, mid-career people. Um, what's one thing you'd like to kind of impart on them or teach or, you know, it could be a soapbox moment or just be something something that you wish people took away from this? I know this is like the highest pressure question of like all three. Um, I mean, I don't mean to just say what I already said but honestly like try you know be be um if you're a photographer be a good photographer where you are like don't worry about trying to break into a city market like it's really not important to to be in New York City or you know be in LA or San Francisco like it's I don't know always look for those local stories and um you never know what is gonna kind of like launch you into the new, into the, I guess, next level of your career, really. It could be something kind of simple and straightforward. And, but, you know, I'm sure you've seen, you know, uh, 
reviewed portfolios before where, you know, there's folks that'll send you kind of like, it looks like their travel log, you know, in, in photo form. I'm sorry. Like there's literally no story here. Like there's, you know, a couple, any, it looks like you're on a trip and you're taking pictures, like as you're, you know, walking to the museum or something like that. Like you don't need to travel far to make really extraordinary pictures. Oh man. That's, that might be one of the best ones we've ever had. So I love that. I Well, you know that I was in a small town until I lived here. Like I grew up and lived in a rinky-dink farm town until two years ago. And so I was getting work for clients. And sometimes I had to drive to cities and sometimes I didn't. I mean, I covered the League's World Series for ESPN. Um, and that was fun. And I, I did it for New York Times too. And there was cool stories in the small towns. But it's also like from being from that area, sometimes you know, sometimes you got jobs you probably didn't deserve to get. <laughs> Number one, um, I did get some higher end jobs than I probably should have. Um, but also like it, it was, I wasn't competing against everyone under the sun and I got to like hone my craft while working for little clients or doing something kind of off the wall or, or something wouldn't be as pressing. So I, I got to work on a lot more features instead of just news when I was starting out. And that was, that was great, you know. So I get an assignment, I do a little business profile piece or something. So I fully agree with that whole sentiment. I fully agree with that. But it's so true. Um, and uh, something I was just gonna say. Um, the travel oh. portfolio thing is so great, by the way. I've seen that so many times. It's so funny. What is the travel portfolio thing? Oh yeah, it's yeah, so yeah. weird. I've seen a bunch of them, and I always like laugh the whole time. I'm like, what? Why do we have pictures of your trip to Puerto Rico? Yeah, I'm probably I'm probably too nice to with situations. I'm like, what exactly are you saying here? Yeah. <laughs> Um, but no, I was going to say it's uh, fortunate that just going back to the, the local being important, um, not only because I'm a big proponent for local media right now for obvious reasons, but, um, you know, it was, uh, was it in 20, it was pre pandemic, I can't remember it was 2019 or 2020. I was, I was a, a judge for POII, um, for the sports uh, categories and, you know, the photographer of the year for sports ended up, ended up being, uh, you know, a local photographer, a, her name and, and the location is going to escape me, but I know it really stood out because it was local story and it was well-rounded. Was it, it was, yeah, Steph Chambers. Yeah. 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 I remember her winning that and I was so deserving. So fantastic. And I mean, you know, there's a fantastic amount of, uh, you know, photographers who are submitting, you know, Olympic photos and, you know, um, Tiger Woods um, winning the masters, you know, all these kind of like amazing portfolios, but it really like, you can't underestimate like how powerful emotion can be with photography and seeing daily life in a small town that everyone can relate to. Unless you have your sports heroes and seeing them, you know, triumph is amazing, but like you can just relate a little bit better to, you know, something that, you know, you can recognize could be happening in your own town. Yeah. City. Oh, I, I love that. I get so frustrated when I look at a photo of someone who's, famous for lack of better single adjective and it's like the photo sucks but it's because it's so and so that like you posted this or you took it and it's like you're leaning on that and it drives me insane because it's like this photo's not good like this photo's not good it's just it's the photo you took of so and so and it's just like oh it happens so much in sports photography it's like Oh, but it's Jeter hitting the ball. It's like no, it's <laughs> Jeter swinging at a pitch. You didn't get the photo of the bat and the ball. You know, what I mean? you didn't get the good photo. You got a photo of that person or whatever. Uh, which I'm right. not thinking of a specific photo. Right. Just... After what happens, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom Brady doesn't celebrate the same way like an 11th grader does. You know, yeah. maybe last year he kind of did, but it's... most years he generally is just kind of like yeah, right, yeah, uh, yeah. 
Uh, I'm also saying like I don't mean that this is gonna sound so like um, ridiculous, but like I mean I'm live in New England. Um, you know, I'm married to somebody who was born and bred in New England, so he's their Patriots fan. But at the same time, like man, like it's <sighs> Patriots. Like I can't. I mean, Tom Brady specifically, obviously now not just Patriots anymore. But I wish he just dominates NFL season so much. I'm like, okay, can we get a different story, please. <laughs> I, I wanted him to lose so bad last year just because i didn't want him to i'm like come on yeah he's then, recovering the super bowls it's like okay here we go again get the temporary hero shot let's go come on like somebody else please okay. uh, i know i had said before the wild card <laughs> i know just anyone else i'm i'm a bills fan i've covered the bills for like nine years and then i finally get assigned to my first super bowl and the bills are in the afc wild card and i'm like for the afc championship and i'm like and i called a few friends and i'm like if the bills make it like I'm quitting football and they're like, what? And I'm like, I'm done. It won't be better than this. I said, I watched the bills as a little kid lose four super. I said, if I, my first super bowl is the bills super bowl. So I'm out. So I was really frustrated when they lost that game. I was like, oh. but, and I told my friends on the team too. Like, I, I know a few guys on the team. I'm like, you guys got to win. Like you got to win. And they're like, yeah, we want to. Okay, cool. Thanks. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, this was awesome. We're going to head over to the Patreon and do like, 20 30 more minutes and just be okay. all done but um before you leave where can people find the work you're doing and where can they see it um i know you're not a photographer so you're not trying to market yourself as much which is a huge blessing i'm jealous of that <laughs> um but where can people see some of the projects you work on uh head over to ctpublic.org and that is where we are so you can find us and you know there's there's links to cptv which is uh, connecticut public television on there um we're on youtube ct public we are on instagram at ct public same thing with facebook and on twitter this is a long story but there we are still our call letters on twitter which is wnpr so check us out very cool awesome and if you are doing eddie adams things this fall any of our listeners uh you help with that which is awesome i was 2012 eddie adams um, which that's one of, that's my best weekend of my whole life. If you're going to be on the mid team, get this one. Mid <laughs> team, man. Yeah. I was a uh, purple team, so I have to fight <laughs> after that. Uh, anyways, thanks so much uh, for coming on. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening to Reciprocity Podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe and rate us five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found value in this podcast and want to learn even more, head over to patreon.com slash reciprocity podcast to support the show.